Hello and welcome to Downton Gabby Life After Downton. Today we are diving back into the world of sparkly headbands to the mother of all sparkly headbands, the crown. We will also be talking about our favorite ladies in power in TV and movies. I'm Shannon in Oakland. I'm Brandy in Los Angeles. And I'm Teresa in Brooklyn. So just before we get to the crown, I do want to take a minute to uh, talk about Michelle Dockery's new show, Good Behavior, which we mentioned we were anticipating on the show a couple of times. Uh, there's been three episodes so far as we're recording this, but I have only watched the pilot. I just want to say, though, I loved it. And I thought that it was one of the more solid pilots I've seen in a really long time. Uh, so I'm looking forward to watching the rest of it. And I recommend it to you guys for us to speak about on our next show. Yeah, definitely. I'm so excited. And I know that um, on Twitter, too, some of our Twitter friends have been talking about it and how much they love it as well. So I'm so excited. Michelle Dockery is going to have a hit show and she's going to wear lots of wigs. Yeah, the wigs are great, and uh, it it really feels like a good role to be like, hey, I can play a lot of stuff that's not Lady Mary. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I was just so pleased by the pilot because I feel like a lot of shows, their first episode, even if it seems promising, is pretty shaky, and this has felt really on solid ground to me. So fingers crossed. Tell us really quickly what the premise is. Uh, the premise is that she plays Letty, who is just out of prison on parole and she's a super mess and she gets by as sort of a grifter thief kind of a thing we learn a little bit more about her various tragic backstories and decisions she's made uh i I like a character like this where like bad shit has happened to them but they are it's also their own decisions that have led them to this path rather than just feeling like a full-on tragic character and then she kind of finds herself in the middle of a a petty thieving job on the uh, first episode, uh, crossing paths with a hitman and deciding to get involved to try to save the, his next target. And then kind of like, you know, sexy slash dark hijinks ensue from there. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy, I'm, I'm spacing on what his name is, but the guy who's the, her co-lead is so fucking hot. He is hot. Like, <laughs> he is amazing so yes that that alone will keep me watching even if the rest of the episodes are super lame i'm gonna be honest <laughs> he's like if milo ventimiglia was like named javier and super fucking jacked i think that's like an <laughs> excellent description well hot so. guys and wigs count me in he looks a little bit like hector from westworld am i wrong about this yeah he's got the same kind of vibe for okay. sure, as a Rodrigo Centro kind of type, so. Well, switching to a show that doesn't have any hot men in it, what did you guys think of The Crown? <laughs> <laughs> I, I really enjoyed The Crown. I was completely into it. I loved watching it. It was a little bit of therapy for me. Not like anything horrible has happened recently, but anyway. <laughs> um, and I really enjoyed it. Now... You all probably know that I am from Canada. I grew up looking at the queen's face on the money that we used. So mm -hmm. I, I, I am sort of into the monarchy like many of my fellow Canadians are. So I really enjoyed this. And one of the things I really liked about it was that it portrays Queen Elizabeth as a really imperfect character. It is like by no means this sort of celebration of this awesome queen in pearls 
she's like kind of a shit human being a lot of the time in the service of doing her duty as the queen. And I think this is the central conflict of the queen's life basically is this incredible sense of duty. Uh, and because of that, uh, she has to make some really tough and usually kind of awful decisions about the people around her that she loves. So I, I thought that was a great sort of premise for this. And I think that that's feels like the dynamics that'll carry it through all these seasons. Um, aside from that, it was just really pretty to look at. And I like a good royal soap opera. Yeah, it wasn't that soapy, but I... I don't know. I, I have been kind of bored by a lot of period things lately, and I wasn't bored by this. I think I don't really know much about post-World War II Britain, so I was really intrigued about the politics following, you know, winning the war. It is interesting that she's not a perfect queen. It is not really celebrating her. A lot of things happen to her, but she doesn't have a lot of agency, which started to grate on me near the end. But it also is part of that she is a symbol, not a leader. Right. I think I think that's very true. And I think they do a lot well with showing how uh, she does have more agency than, say, her younger sister, Princess Margaret, does. And I think the conflict between the two of them dealing with this life that, you know, neither of them asked for, although Margaret would have asked for it, uh, that is probably the most compelling through line of the season to me. I just feel like it takes a while to get to that good stuff. I mean, she's not coronated until episode 5 of 10. I, I really wanted them to either speed things up a little bit or go back and explore more what had gone on with her father um, and his decision to take on everything that he did. Uh, I think they do some things with that parallel, but... Maybe just because I like that actor, Jared Harris, of course, Lane Price from our beloved Mad Men. Uh, I, I like him so much and thought he was so good in the role. I almost thought if you're going to call it the crown and you're really going to make it about the bigger system, because it does to me feel like it's about a lot more than her. I was surprised by how much she felt like just one of the players rather than the protagonist. I, I wish they had gone deeper with that if they were really going to explore what the monarchy means for all of England. Well, I think they're setting that up for season two and they are setting up this, how the morals are changing and how divorce is viewed and the next season is in the 60s. And so I think we're going to really see that. And they kind of near the end hint at, well, what does the rest of Britain think about Margaret's relationship? Well, they're for it. They're, you know, they're divorced and they're remarrying. And so, you know, is the monarchy going to change with the times or are they going to stay this iconic thing and so i think that's going to be pushed more in the next season i think that there's this really interesting thing because it's called the crown and i think it's because it's really bigger than any one person right it's like this giant machine that has been going on since i don't know my british history very well but i want to say 1600 years i don't know yeah mm -hmm. um and it, and it is its own machine. And uh, she is sort of the current little cog, you know, that it's running around. But even with her dad, and I think they really make this point well, he did not want to be king. But right. he, he had to be king. And it kind of killed him. And you see the Duke of Windsor, his brother, who, who you know, he keeps showing up from time to time. And it just keeps reminding us that the fact that he abdicated, like, 
almost destroyed the monarchy, you know? And that's why you have to keep the ship steady and all that. Now, some people would say, good, the monarchy should be destroyed. Why are we even caring about these people? They're not the people I want to talk to about this. <laughs> I love stuff about the monarchy. <laughs> but um, but I think that that's a message going on and on. Like, what is at stake? The, you know, the, the British monarchy is at stake and you can't make these mistakes, even though you can see the people are clamoring for something different. Like, let Margaret marry Peter. Come on. Right. We'll definitely let Margaret marry Peter. But also, there is no point in this series, and this wasn't shocking to me. I mean, I know how the monarchy works in, in tandem with the actual government of of Britain, but I mean, there she has no power. So I, I do wish they would get a little bit more into like, what is the point of it all? Like, if what is the purpose of her duty? And I know maybe just because the whole like God angle doesn't really work on me that well. <laughs> I mean, but she is the head of the church. I mean, that's been since Henry VIII. I mean, that I think they did make that very clear that she had to really say no to Margaret because she is the head of the church, and that that is a big difference. I think they made it clear factually, but I don't think they explored that theme to my. Uh, to my satisfaction because it was really just one scene of her in a room with a couple of cardinals or whoever the fuck. And they're like, you can't do this because Jesus. And then, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I would, we never see them like going to church. We never see that right. that really means anything to her personally and whether it does or not really mean something to her personally. I think they should have explored. I, I agree with that. I, I would also say, I don't think she wanted to be queen. I mean, I think that, a lot of the problems between her and Philip is neither of them wanted this. I think she would have liked to be submissive to her husband. I don't think she likes being in control over him and he doesn't like being submissive to her. I think that neither of them really wanted that. And that's a big problem. I think that's how it's being portrayed for sure. I don't know that that's how the real Elizabeth felt at the time, or I don't know if anyone can really know that. I do know that she has never taken her option to step down and let her son become the king. So something must have changed along the way about how she feels about being at the head of the table. Right. We're just watching her early years. So. Right. But there's a difference between what she wants to do and what she has to do. And again, I think duty is such a huge part of this. I love that scene when they're in Malta and they're having some kind of party at their house and she's wearing like the best 1950s you know, fancy strapless dress. So gorgeous. Remember? Gorgeous. Mm -hmm. The phone rings and her father is gravely ill. And that's the end, basically, of her life um, <clears throat> as she knows it. And the rest of the this, this season, I think she keeps dreaming of going back to Malta. You know, like, how can we go just go back to Malta and, and be there? And of course, she can't. And then he dies and now she's queen. I think what I, another thing I would have liked is um, more more exploration of that from Philip's perspective that didn't feel, he felt like he was getting a little cartoony in his sort of like, his portrayal as being not liking how things were going with his wife, the queen. I mean, she may not have grown up necessarily all the, her whole childhood knowing she would be queen and she might be surprised that her father is dying so young, but he had to know when he married her what was about what was in their future and he kind of acts like he didn't so to me that feels like a disconnect well i think that their marriage i mean 
she was really in love with him and I think he also loved her and I think it was a love match but it was orchestrated by Lord Mountbatten his uncle right and it was a real power grab from the Mountbatten side and you know he was like some obscure prince in Greece some weird reshuffling of European royalty after the war and this would make him he thought sort of the head of England and right. would really elevate him. And I think he, you know, also he loved this woman and it was a good plan. What Mountbatten didn't count on was that he wouldn't get anything, <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> you know, he would have to become Windsor. Um, the family wasn't going to become Mountbatten. Um, he had to walk behind the queen. He had to pledge his uh, obedience to her, like all of this. And I don't think he thought that was really going to happen. And he has nothing to do. Like, the guy is bored out of his mind. I mean, props for putting the coronation on TV. That was great. I'm glad he succeeded at that, too. Like, I like it would have been really lame if he would have done all of this and it would have gone badly. <laughs> you know, because it gives him some, some, a little strength. Like, he can actually do things if someone would just let him. I think that's a good point. That was a nice detail for them to throw in. I guess the problem here is that a lot of what I want more of would be maybe pretty speculative. And we're dealing with real historical characters. <laughs> so that, I mean, that's a limit when you're talking, when you're doing a show like this that is based off of real people. Uh, you know, I want to see more of the scenes where they're like really digging in, like the one where... Um, Philip and Elizabeth fight and then realize that there are reporters outside. Oh, that scene is so good. So good. Like that whole sequence is so good. But a lot of that feels like truncated to me as if they don't want to show too much that might not be what really happened. And so it often feels like I'm like, and then what? And then what? And there's no answer to that. Yeah, it would have been easier to make this show after she had died. <laughs> I think it's just really, I think it's really hard that she's alive. Seriously. Because the, you do hit, you do see them holding out, holding back out of probably respect. Yeah, and I think Peter Morgan's other stuff has also felt similarly detached and a little bit cold to me. I think it's part of his style that maybe just doesn't speak to me. Um, I'm being really harsh, but I did enjoy the show, and I think, but I think it's telling that probably forty percent of the show follows Winston Churchill, and we haven't even mentioned him yet. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. I mean, he was really, really important to that history, but of course, I, I did not. I did not enjoy the character. I did not enjoy John Lithgow. Ooh, I did not like that performance. I found it all very, very mannered. Um, Shannon, you liked it more than I didn't mind it, and even like um, the scene about him paint the episode about him painting is portrait and I was like oh my god why are we spending so long with this but then when he tells the story about the pond and there's that that was easily the strongest yeah. scene of the whole series and the, him, yeah. and the um guy that plays the artist is really good and he's like uh-huh yeah that's why you keep going back to it it was like so well done that was like a great short story you know it was like oh and boom there's the punch that was so great but yeah I mean it's a lot of him blustering around but I do think it was important, especially in the beginning, to focus on it because he was really close with her father. He's an icon and a war hero. She's already intimidated coming to this position. And this is the person you have to deal with? I mean, that's almost impossible for her to be successful in that situation, especially when he's really fucking up over this smog thing. And she knows that. But how is she not going to feel totally intimidated? 
by calling him out. I mean, I just, it, it really set up of like, wow, how hard this is for her. I mean, if she was a man, it would have been a lot easier. But her being a woman walking into that, really difficult. Right. I think one of the best lines of the whole season, I, I don't remember word for word, but she says something like, why don't you answer me as befits my station and not what you think you should say to someone of my age and gender. Yeah. Yes. Like, yes, girl. Yes. Snap, snap. <laughs> that was a great scene. Yeah, I thought that was really good. Another good zinger was um, that I wanted to say earlier, but I forgot, is that um, when Elizabeth's mother says to Philip. Uh, you have more freedom than any other consort. It's like, yeah, you're just a consort. <laughs> like, you're not king. <laughs> so shut up and get in line. And go to the fucking Olympics and stop whining about it. A consort who can wear a tux and go out with his friends every night and take flying lessons and do everything else that he wouldn't be able to do if he was a wife. So, yeah. Yeah. Premier River, Philip. Quite, quite true. Just this one small point. So the artist that was painting Winston Churchill's photo is Stephen Delane otherwise known as Stannis. That's not... Did you catch that? Stannis Baratheon. Stannis? No, it isn't. Yes. That was not Stannis Baratheon. It was Stannis Baratheon. It decidedly was no. not. No. There's no way. <laughs> Hold on. There is no way that that was Stannis Baratheon. I'm, I'm on IMDb so much. Okay, Stephen Delane, The Crown... Graham Sutherland and Stannis Baratheon. How about? Are that? you kidding me? It didn't look anything like him. I'm not kidding you. I cannot believe this is the same guy. I'm looking at the IMDb and I'm just completely shocked. I yeah, I'm like, this is false. Did you recognize him off the bat, or did you actually have to look it up? I knew that he was in the show, and I didn't know who he was playing because all those British guys look the same to me, frankly. Right. And then and then I read that he was playing the artist. So I kind of knew going in that. He... Did they CGI a different person's face on him? It looks <laughs> nothing like him. I think it's because he has longer hair and he doesn't have a beard. So he looks really different. All right. All right. Sorry for doubting you. Wow. Can we can we just can we run down all the Downton Abbey people like Harriet Walter, who was Lady Shackleton, played Clementine Churchill, his wife. Mm -hmm. Harry Haddon Payton played Martin, the undersecretary. Who I wish got the job. I'm still pissed she didn't stick up for him. Come on. He plays these nebbishes. I think this is like the roles he, you know, but um, yeah, the Marquis who... Uh, married Edith. Elizabeth's mother looks like she should be in Downton, but she's from a bunch of Jane Austen films. Right. <laughs> right. Victoria Hamilton. I really love her. I think she's wonderful. She's also only like 11 years older than Claire Foy. Yeah. So, and uh, um, what's her face? Lady Shackleton is not old enough to be playing the like 70 something wife of Winston Churchill. Yeah. I think they put old skin makeup on her or something. Can we talk about Matt Smith, who plays Prince Philip, who was a Doctor Who? Yes, and I don't watch Doctor Who, but I do love him from his turn in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great movie. Underappreciated. I was a little surprised. I was distracted by how much he's starting to look like Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> he's a good actor, but... I don't know. No sex appeal for me, I guess. 
Oh, tons for me. That butt was great. Really? Oh, yeah. I love the butt. And I just, I don't know. I like his swagger. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I totally, and they had a lot of chemistry. I mean, I know they're fighting a lot near the end, but in the beginning, like, the whole Africa time, they just look like they want to eat each other's clothes off each other. I mean, they're just like, they're just like looking at each other with just like so much lust. And I think they did a good job picking them that have chemistry. I just wish they'd show more of that, you know, it's not all bad, you know, but I feel like right. the end of the season, it's just all bad. But it's like, you know, they still have things that get along. Just like her and her sister, not everything's bad. Like they still, you can tell they still love each other and they still have these things in common. Well, that's definitely a problem of trying to span like five years in 10 episodes. You hit on only those like big conflicts and you don't see as much of the like day-to-day life. For example, I don't know if we ever see her speaking to her children. Right. I don't know if she does. She's not that interested in her children. I mean, in the same way that any like really upper class British person of the era would not be that interested in their children. Like, well, we don't even they... get the Lady Mary moments parading them through the right. you know, tea room with Nanny. Yeah, it's true. I mean, Philip plays with them or sort of shames Charles and plays with Anne. But um, but yeah, she, like they're going to Africa for six months and she's like, oh, they won't even notice we're gone. You know, like that kind of thing. It's like, wow, mother of the year. Yeah, I, I know it's different, but I mean, th- people do call it out a couple of times. Her own mother calls it out to her. Mm-hmm. So it was it was weird to me that they didn't show some moment of her making some kind of effort or going through whatever that, you know, she must have some kind of daily contact at least with them. <laughs> I would assume, although, you know, it was a real contrast, like, because Diana really spent a lot of time and was really engaged in her kids' lives, which was meant to be kind of a fuck you to the queen who did not do that with her own kids. We haven't talked about the best episode of the entire uh, season, which is the one focused on her education or lack of thereof. And I thought that was a really surprising, really well done issue that I've never, I, I never even imagined. You just assume she had a good education. And the scene where he asks what test she's taken is just heartbreaking. Yeah. And it's like, what were they preparing her for? Just to be a beautiful symbol, I guess. But she has to talk to all these intelligent men and know all these things. So I, I, I love that episode so much. It was so well done. I really felt for her in that moment. And I also was thinking, like, how hard would that be? Like, there's a lot of just, like, general cultural knowledge that we take for granted that feels like you've known it forever that, no, you learned in elementary school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, she can talk about dogs and horses like a proper upper-class British woman. But aside from that... Another thing that startled me in the later episodes, which I liked much better than the earlier ones, when she did, we did get to see more of, like, her love of horses, and all of a sudden this friend pops up. Porchy. And I'm like, she has a friend? What the... <laughs> I, I mean, I would have liked to know that earlier and explore that a little bit more. Yeah, Porchy. I mean, what a name. Even P.G. Woodhouse couldn't make up that <laughs> I think you're right, Brandy. I think we could have used like the humanizing part of it would have been her friends from before, you know, like seeing her with Porchy, you did sort of see a different side of her. Mm -hmm. She's, you know, she was warm and playful and, you know, they were clearly friends. Like you could tell. Yeah. Um, 
and I, it would have been nice to see a bit more of that that Malta crowd you know yeah I, I do want to make clear that I think Claire Foy's performance is great uh, and that's probably part of what makes me want so much more from the character because I like seeing her and I think that she's capable of really portraying a lot more and I hope um, that the next season now that a lot of the mechanics are out of the way can really dive into some of that stuff I think it definitely will, and I think that there's going to be a lot of really interesting issues that come up through the 1960s, and um, I was, you know, saying in our notes that it's interesting, this whole topic of divorce with Margaret is so heated, and of course with her uncle, but then three out of her four kids had divorces, so something had to change. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm just picturing... Um the ladies on Call the Midwife, like reading the paper, being like, oh, that, like Trixie with her cigarette being like, I just love that Princess Margaret. <laughs> oh my God, the crossover potential would be great. Right? Yes. Oh my God. Well, you know, like, I, well, her, Margaret, her sister Margaret ends up getting married and then divorced and Charles and Anne and Andrew all get divorced. But the bigger issue was marrying a divorced person and that's why Margaret was forbidden or really discouraged from marrying Peter because he was divorced. So that was the big deal. And then when in episode six, we're going to see Charles marry Camilla, that's going to be a really big deal because he's going to be king of England and he's marrying this divorced woman, which is exactly why the Duke of Windsor had to abdicate. Mm -hmm. So right. it's a sort of interesting arc. I did definitely go down a little bit of a Wikipedia hole, like tracing it up to the current time. And uh, that stuff is, is really interesting. And like the whole thing about how like sometimes Fergie still gets invited to stuff because, you know, <laughs> she's the mom of the like eighth and ninth people in line for the throne. But right. sometimes, no, they don't feel like inviting her anymore. Like, oh, God. Right. I mean, what does the Duke of Windsor say? You certainly know when you're out. You know? Yeah. So, <laughs> that was really good. That's all his he's like a really catty good character. <laughs> Giving yeah. them all nicknames. Thought it was smart to have him in there. I wish his wife would speak more. She's mainly just sits there and does like yeah. a weird smirk smile, but their treatment of her character was very strange to me. But her clothes were the best. I mean she had the best clothes in the entire entire cast, I think. She looks fabulous. And you know, Margaret, I mean I kind of feel bad for Margaret, but I don't know. I, she says that Peter was the love of her life, but... Um, but she's 23. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Kind of. I mean, she goes on to have, allegedly have affairs with like people like Mick Jagger. So she was really... <laughs> <laughs> she was, I mean, she, she's no longer alive, but she really did live that life. So... She's pretty delightful, but also I am you know. crossing my fingers that we get to see a make <laughs> It's intense how much they smoke, though. I mean, Margaret has a cigarette in her mouth every scene. It's yeah. like because I Constantly. did look, you know, lung disease is also how she died, and uh, it was like, wow, people really smoked. I mean, I I'm glad they did that because that was shocking in Mad Men too, and it's like, God, people just live like that, and like. All the scenes are really hazy inside because there's so much smoke. Mm-hmm. I can't even deal with it. Like, I, 
uh, about every six months I decide when I'm with one of my friends that we're going to smoke a cigar. And then like, I just feel like shit for like four days after that. (laughs) I can't even imagine the pack a day or two packs a day life. I can't even imagine. I know. So could we have a, a brief conversation on the really fabulous clothes and the sparkly headbands, which in this case are called crowns? Probably the best shot of a crown is not even the real crown, but when Princess Margaret gets to give the little speech to the party in Elizabeth's stead. Ooh, the outfit and the crown she was wearing in that scene was so pretty. Yeah, yeah. it was so pretty. All the clothes are, are really fantastic. Well, some of Elizabeth's clothes are kind of dowdy, but Margaret's clothes. I mean, Elizabeth's clothes are dowdy, but they're kind of the right clothes for her to wear, I guess. Some of them are super cute, though. The outfit she's wearing in the stables, I was like, you could wear that to work today. You could buy that on Mod Cloth. <laughs> right, and she's got the little diamond pin. Did you guys read Tom and Lorenzo's uh, style recaps from each episode? Wait, there is a... Tom and Lorenzo style recaps. Yeah. And I didn't know about this. Yeah, they haven't oh. recapped the whole season yet. <laughs> oh my god! You gotta watch the whole season again. <laughs> oh, okay, I will. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so once again, they're on point, and so a lot of the clothes are historical because they were very well photographed. Sure. So a lot of them are historical recreations. Um, but then there are also some color themes and then what they call pearls of power, which is how many <laughs> strands of pearls different female characters are wearing in different <gasps> scenes denotes who has the power in the scene. It's going really well. Oh, shit. This theory. Oh, mm-hmm. shit. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. That is brilliant. I'm obsessed with those pearls. I wore pearls on Thanksgiving. I'm so obsessed with the pearls. I wore jeans, a white t-shirt, and pearls. <laughs> so yeah, the costume designer is Michelle Clapton, who did all the costumes for Game of Thrones. Ah. Which are so incredible that you can't even tell how incredible they are on the show, and you have to like count on the blogs that are zooming in on the embroidery and stuff <laughs> like that. Do you remember the article about Cersei, and in the last episode, she's wearing like an all-leather outfit? And there's this whole long thing about why the costume designer put her in leather and metal and so smart. Well, she also designed all these costumes for uh, this show. So she's got a couple really good gigs. I like her life. Wow, fun. You get to do Game of Thrones in the crown. Great. Good life. And she's like, hey, Stephen Delane. Nice to see you again. (laughs) Oh, my God. I just can't even believe it. She recognized him. I'm sure she recognized him. Jesus. (laughs) Uh, I watched that episode sober and I didn't even (laughs) God Wow That's a pretty big fail on our part I'm not gonna lie (laughs) I think we're all really looking forward to season 2 and seeing where this goes and hopefully deepening her character and looking under that goddess facade to see what's really going on underneath the British exterior but of course in our own country. We did not get to elect our female leader, so I know we're in a bit of a post-Hillary hangover, so we wanted to talk about who are some of our fictional uh, female characters in positions of power. This was, a, this was a hard list for me to compile, and part of it was because, uh, yeah, of that post-Hillary hangover, which uh, 
Is hangover the right word? Because hangovers and it's like you had fun the night before, and we didn't really have any fun at all. Let's just so. call it grief. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I don't think any of our regular listeners will be shocked to know that that was rough for all of us here. Um, and honestly, maybe part of the reason why I, I might have enjoyed The Crown a lot more if I had watched it before the election back when I had fun. <laughs> so. I found it a really good, a really good way to take my, that and my whiskey was a good way to take my mind <laughs> off of things. At least for a little while, I would forget. Preaching to the choir, girl. That is just exactly yeah, I felt like this was a great escape. But yeah, you know, it w- this list was also hard because even in fiction, there's not a lot of women who've been elected to power. Right. And I had a really interesting discussion the other day with the, my friends who are recently pregnant. And they were talking about how they don't really want to show their kid, they don't know the gender yet, a lot of Disney stories, not just because of all the gender stuff, but... <laughs> She was like, you know that there's no, like, democracy in any of these movies? (laughs) No one's elected. They're just born into these positions of power. And that's really messed up because it's all just, like, monarchy. And it's like, what about democracy? And even just going through this list, it was like, I can't even think of, like, hardly any female characters that were elected to their position. Yeah. Why is there no democracy in fiction storytelling? (laughs) just like weird it sounds boring i don't know yeah uh they could watch mulan i mean she's not elected yeah we all decided mulan was the only one well (laughs) i've got one i've got one and it may be a spoiler but i do believe that leslie nope amy poehler from parks and rec Mm -hmm. does become president in some future reality i think yeah i've heard a lot of people saying that they were rewatching some parks and rec um, as comfort food in the last few weeks, I feel like I'm not going to be ready for that for a while. It's like too hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I found myself when I was compiling this list. Um, I do agree. Like the elected officials, even something like, you know, when Gina Davis did commander in chief, it was because she was VP and the guy died. Uh, and there are similar narratives in stuff like I think 24 had Cherry Jones play an elected president. I know on that Catherine Heigl show, State of Affairs from a couple of years ago, Alfre Woodard played the president. So you see it here and there, but in but nowhere to the same scale of like a Harrison Ford or a you know Michael Douglas kind of thing that you see in the movies. Um, so I found myself gravitating more towards military characters. Mm. Um, and thinking a lot about uh, stuff like even Star Trek Voyager, Captain Janeway, it's not military per se, but it's very similar to what we think of as a military character. And she does like become an admiral, I believe, in that timeline. Uh, and that to me was an interesting way to think about female characters of power. Um, and I thought a lot about Battlestar Galactica, which has an interesting female president who, yes, People have to die for her to get into her role, but that's intrinsic to everyone's story, not just hers. And then probably one of my favorite arcs on the whole show is when the fleet comes across the Pegasus, this ship that they didn't know was still out there. And Michelle Forbes plays Admiral Kane, who's sort of dark and twisted and does a lot of uh, very uh, not so moral stuff to save her own people. But then you have a really interesting conflict between two women who came into their power in very different ways and both think that they're doing the right thing 
in a super complicated situation. And it's one of my favorite arcs of TV ever. And the fact that they're both women is significant and yet no one's treating them in the same way as someone's treating like Elizabeth on the queen where like, you know, they're just talking down to them because of being women. Right. Oh, okay. Well, that makes me want to continue with Battlestar Galactica. So thank you. <laughs> and Michelle Forbes and Mary McDonald are both just national treasures. So, Brandy, <laughs> I, mean, I yeah. saw on your list, you also had Borgen, which is one of my favorites. Yes, and I only just didn't bring it up just because I feel like we mention it on, like, every other episode here. Like, people are probably sick of us. Either they've seen it and they know, or they're like, fuck, like, I get it. I gotta watch Borgen, Borgen, But, Borgen. I mean, you do have to watch Borgen. You really do. Well, just I'm counting it, okay? down till Therese mentions The Good Wife, so. <laughs> and I know you're all counting down until I mention Peggy, so we're all fine. <laughs> you know? We're... Well, and look, you know, Game of Thrones has a lot of, men in it but there's a lot of women in power too i mean there's quite a few to choose from in there yeah i think i did shot i i mean i just talked a lot about battlestar galactica but that's like more sci-fi i shied a little bit away from fantasy worlds and i think part of that is because i do get frustrated that we're never given a fantasy world where we don't have to deal with patriarchy and i'm like and I've been listening to Dune on audiobook lately and getting like, and I love Dune. I've listened to it before or I've read it before. Uh, but also getting frustrated that like, can I just have any kind of cool world with new magic rules that doesn't automatically subjugate women as well? Well, one of the characters I was going to choose was Professor McGonagall in Harry Potter. And she is not the ultimate power, Dumbledore is, but she, she is the moral center of Hogwarts. And, you know, she takes on Umbridge, and she leads the Battle of Hogwarts. And she becomes headmaster. She does become headmaster. When Dumbledore dies. <laughs> yeah, and I just, she's always been such a strong and steady force. And I, I've just always loved her as a, as a female leader in that world. Right. I do hope, uh, Shannon and I recently actually saw Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them together. Uh, the American president, Amer obviously the American wizard president in that is a black woman who doesn't get a ton of screen time, but I'm hoping in the next movies will be a lot more important. And I, I do feel like that was, um, a good choice for them to make. She also has a kick-ass costume and look. I really dug her whole look. That's why I wanted more from her. So I don't know. I wanted more from most of the good characters in that. And I'm looking forward to the supposed five movie arc. Yeah. <laughs> Less beasts, more people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking how I have no women of color on my list at all. I tried. I tried and they're not fucking there. Well, there's like, you know, scandal and, you know, that world. Right. Well, aside from Captain Janeway, some of my more influential female leaders, I mean, one of them is definitely Detective Chief Inspector Jane Tennyson in Prime Suspect. Yes. Played by Helen Mirren. She is just amazing. I loved that series so much when it first came out, and I've probably seen it several times since then. I think that's a great character. And also Principal Tammy Taylor from Friday Night Lights. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She was a great leader, a really great leader. She took a stand. She said some unpopular things. She helped a girl get an abortion. Yeah. Well, you know, I thought of one, I mean... Is she a good leader? She's a leader and she's an evil character, which is Patty Hughes from Damages. 
Oh, yeah. That's a great show for just pure female awesomeness and devilishness. And, like, the power that she has isn't, uh, isn't feminine in nature necessarily, and yet it plays out in really interesting ways. Oh, God. I just love damages. Her power isn't feminine, but her weapons are. That is a great way to phrase it, yes. And I feel like that show has fallen down a crack. Like, it doesn't get mentioned very much about, like, dark and important dramas of the last 10 or 15 years. And uh, it's really worth revisiting, for sure. I That's a great, great, great show. That first season is so good. It's like, take a mm -hmm. weekend and binge that and blow your fucking mind. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's still a big, a big gap here. You know, there's a lot of female heroes and female characters and positions of power to be filled. You know, I don't know if we'll get them in the next four years, but we should keep trying. <laughs> yeah. Because this list should be longer. And it was, yeah, it was really fine, hard to find female characters of color outside of like Shonda Rhimes shows mm -hmm. uh, who you could really say were in positions of power or leadership, uh, at least in, you know, American or British media. I don't know. I would love to hear recommendations for stuff from like uh, Asia or anything like that where there are, are characters that are, you know, specifically those elected characters now. I'm, I'm really feeling... Like, there are so many shows where there are presidents and senators and stuff, and you just, they just end up being white guys most of the time. Yeah, they're never, really they're never women. I mean, I'm, I was like, when you said Asia, I was like, oh, Lady Snowblood, but she's like a female revenge warrior. She wasn't elected to her position, but she is also a badass, and you should watch Lady Snowblood. Yeah. Female revenge warriors are not made, they're born. Yeah. Is that right? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> It's true. She was born into it, and boy, does she kick ass. <laughs> awesome. Well, please write to us on Twitter and let us know who your favorite female character in power is. Um, you can reach us on Twitter at Downton Gabby or on Facebook at Downton Gabby. We would love to hear what characters you're drawn to and let us know what you're thinking of The Crown. We're pretty sure you're watching it because you also love beautiful dresses and sparkly headbands and sumptuous sets. So please let us know what you're thinking. All right. Well, we will see you next month where we'll be talking about good behavior. Talk to you then about the wigs. <laughs>